0: I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Listen, it feels really good to spend time with and laugh with people who get it, who just understand your story, where you came from, because they've been there too. I want every survivor to have this experience. So I really encourage you to come to the Tears of Eden Retreat Con in October. It is going to be a place that is facilitated for creating storytelling and building community and hopefully lots of laughs too. So you can find out more information about that with the link in the show notes. We hope to see you there. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Janine McConaughey about her most recent book Trauma in the Pews, the impact of trauma on faith and spiritual practices. Here's my interview with Janine McConaughey. So what keeps you busy most of the time? What what do you end up spending most of your time on? Oh,
1: that is so interesting cuz so I'm I'm president of the board for the Attachment and Trauma Network. Okay. And and I this is my second term as I've been on the board, well, four years, maybe. This is my fourth year. And this is my second year as president. And, and I got involved with them on my healing journey and it helped me to understand the impact of developmental trauma, which mm-hmm. is early childhood trauma. And they were just instrumental in my, they became my people. They became how I began to connect the dots between what I had thought were mental health issues my entire life, which were not, they were the impact of trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, so we, the organization, it's a 25 year old organization and they work to help others understand how to work with children who've been impacted by trauma. So in February, we're having a trauma sensitive schools conference in Houston And this is like our seventh year of that. And just an amazing organization that I'm proud of. So a lot of my time Mm -hmm. is presidenting. That's what I call it. I'm presidenting. And then I I do a lot of podcasts and, and conversations with people. And I'm running a Trauma in the Pews book study right now. We're in our third week so i i it's it's got content in it we meet once a week to discuss chapters in the book and so forth and so oh, yeah. so that's been an accomplishment to get that set up you understand that it just takes all sorts of upfront work before you ever get moving on it right so and i'm supposedly retired you know so i <laughs> Okay. Okay. Be so hard. Okay. <laughs> this does not sound like someone does
0: not sound like retirement, but it's probably how I'm going to retire. I'm just like I think of retirement, and I'm like, I don't think I can do that. Like I don't, I don't think I'm going to end up doing the like golfing and going to the beach thing. I just don't. I just don't think I'll enjoy that. I'm gonna-
1: Now I could go to the beach. Yeah, I mean
0: yeah, that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's I I I mean my my story. Okay, so this is this is the the story part was that I had taught in Bible colleges. I was an educator, a teacher educator, and I taught in Bible colleges for 33 years, and and then my childhood trauma began to surface, and I ended out in therapy, mm-hmm. and then everything, all of those structures began to collapse around me. Because and it, I'm because they weren't serving anymore. They were not serving me anymore. And I began to understand that I had, I had lived my life with dissociative structures and, yeah. and I wasn't, I was just surviving. I wasn't thriving. I was surviving. I did a great, I was a great survivor. Let me yeah. tell you. Yeah. It excellent. I mean, I had a PhD, I had a career I had. And then when I got into therapy, I realized, Oh my gosh, I have pushed down and repressed and suppressed and everything that happened to me as a child. And when when I began to go on the journey of healing that, then I had to retire because it was so monumental. Wow. So huge and monumental because I was 61 years old at the time I you started, started unpacking things. So when I started 61 years. Wow. Yes. And my, my first, the, the, I mean, I had attachment. That's why I'm like the attachment and trauma network is so important because I understood that my mother probably had her own trauma. And so Mm -hmm. we never attached. We, we just didn't ever. And, and so I, that made me really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And then I was sexually abused in a home daycare that was related that someone in the church had at the age of three. And then I became so vulnerable that from the age of three to 23, I was just a target. I mm-hmm. was in, I had no boundaries. I was vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They could spot me. And, and so, and that's what I tell in my first book, Brave. I tell that whole story and my healing journey in therapy, but, but I didn't, I did not belong at the bio college anymore. I was just like, uh, I talked last year uh, and all I could do, all I wanted to do was finish well. I'd been in education for 40 years mm-hmm. and I was coming apart and I needed to finish well. And so yeah. I never told anyone there that I was in therapy. Yeah. Or, so I retired at the end of the year and everyone's like, why is it? Because I was like you. I'm like, I don't think I can do that retirement thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <So> no one in <laughs> me really thought, why? All of a sudden, she wants to retire. That just doesn't even fit who she is, right? (laughs) So I did. And then I spent two more years in intensive therapy. My goodness. My goodness. And just unpacking it. And Mm -hmm. I, so I published Brave. And then I published two more memoir type books. And one, the third one was My Faith Journey. And that's the one where I, where I talk about how, how the church misunderstood me and how, how I often was because of that, I was just traumatized again and again because no one. Yeah,
0: Because your trauma was not being received well and then you were being re-traumatized.
1: Right. And then because, you know, and and then when you're traumatized, when someone does something and you're triggered and then you react with it because you don't have any tools or skills in order to to work through that, then that, there's evidence. In fact, okay, so we, so I was looking for something entirely different, and I was teaching. I was let go from a Bible college when I right before I turned fifty, and that whole semester before I was let go, I was just traumatized again and again and reacting. And I I found a memo the other day where the person, the person who sent the memo, who was in administration, said we because we were unable to complete our meeting due to your uh, physical and emotional issues. (laughs) That's just not a compassionate statement. Uh, Right. So that, so that's what happens to traumatized people, right? (sighs) Is is that they cannot, they cannot navigate in the world that they're living. They're a child trying to navigate in an adult world. And then they get, they get traumatized because of that. So anyway, so that's the, that's the third book. And then, Okay, so I have to tell you how I got to trauma in the pews. Oh, this is one of my questions. I was like,
0: what What prompted, I, it's a very needed book, but I want to know what prompted it, what prompted oh. the writing right. it.
1: Right, so I had to tell all that as an introduction to help you understand how I got to writing trauma in the pews because all of my work that I did up until up until this book was my audience was survivors survivors of sexual abuse, survivors of trauma within the church, survivors, everything was survivor focused. I had another book that I was working on, which will come out later. And it was also a survivor book. And and so I went and redid my whole website based on I'm doing all this work for survivors. Right. And then I look at the Darren Slades religious trauma e-conference and and my publisher, I said, can you listen to my presentation? Something's not flowing. Can you just listen? And when I got done with it, she goes, Janine, that's a book. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do this as a book. <laughs> you just outlined a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I did? Oh, I did. <laughs> You're like, I did? Really? I didn't know. <laughs> And so, anyway, so I, I enter a lot of times, really clueless into things. Okay, so <laughs> I love this. And so I, I said, "Oh, you know, I, I think you're right." And then I realized, and this is what brought me to the book. I said, "But I don't want to write a book for ministry leaders. I want, I want to help survivors. My mission is not." Right, you're like, I don't want to talk to those people. <laughs> <laughs> Not, and even though, and I want to say that my dad was a pastor, he was the most amazing human being I ever knew. And I am I am who I am today because my dad took such good care of me. And he was a kind and gentle shepherd, mm-hmm. is what he was. And everyone who knew him loved him. And and he he really was such an important part of my life. And so I began the book with a conversation I had with him when he was almost a hundred. And he, he was having anxiety and he, I said, what are you anxious about? He goes, well, I would have done some things different in ministry. And I said, what? You were so wise and amazing. And he said, well, I just wish I had understood people better. Mm. And that's the interest to the book. So I wrote the book because I realized that for all the help that I can give survivors, for all the the compassion I can give them, all the paths to healing I can share with them, all the ways I can help them to understand their trauma. The one thing that that I cannot do is is to create safe spaces for them within the church. Right. right. I can't make that happen. I can't fix that. Right. So when my publisher talked to me about this, I said, Oh, so I can keep writing books to survivors, but they will continue to stay in the church and be re-traumatized. Yeah. Because because the ministry leaders do not know how to, I mean, okay, there is intentional harm. Clearly there's intentional harm, but there's a lot of unintentional harm too. Right. After that
0: intentional harm occurs.
1: Yeah. And, and so, and a lot of times the well, we could just go on and on. And on. I know. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll probably get there later. Let me, yeah. let me finish this first. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really what I did was I wrote trauma in the pews to help ministry leaders to understand at a deeply compassionate level, what is going on inside the people in their churches who my main focus is those who experience trauma as children. Mm-hmm. And that and that they gravitate to the church because they're looking for hope. They're yes. looking for answers. They're looking, they're We're looking, looking for,
0: for community because their families community. are not in places.
1: And mm-hmm. they're looking for all of the things that the church should be able to offer them. And the first thing that happens to them when they walk in the door is they're told to repent. Mm-hmm. And and they don't even know what to repent from at that point. Mm -hmm. because there was so much in my story that I blame myself for that. I believed was my responsibility because that's what, that's what children do. Mm -hmm. That's what young adults do. That's what adults do. Right. Especially when it's a spiritual leader, you, you believe, well, it must be me. It wouldn't be them. I have caused them. And then purity culture makes women believe that, that they're the cause right for on. Right on.
0: I love <laughs> this conversation so much. I wish I had took two hours instead of one. <laughs> like literally you're like saying everything, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like literally <laughs> this kind of stuff all the time. Okay,
1: continue. Continue. <laughs> yeah, so so and and that and when I started talking about this, the survivors were right, like when I published Brave you know, I tell my story and I, I don't even mention, except for struggles that I had with God. I don't even mention God all the way through brave mm-hmm. until the very end. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then I talk about how God helped me heal, but I don't even, I don't want to trigger people. Right. You know, I, I help with a page on Facebook and it's not a religious page. And, but we, we posted something that was from a Christian counseling. We had people just get so triggered just because it said Christian on it. Right. There's so much harm that has been done that, that, and so, and the, and the, for the most part, ministry leaders are really, they don't understand. They, they're, they, they post the memes about why people leave the church. And I'm just like, walk away, walk away, Janine. (laughs) Don't comment. Don't comment. (laughs) Write the book, publish the book. Yes. Because my book is all about why people leave. Yep. Because Mm -hmm. they don't find community. They don't find safe spaces. They are not able to heal because if you put repentance first, then you, you get into a cycle of repenting for something that was never your fault. Yep. Okay. And then, and, so- and then everything, and you talk about this in the book,
0: like every bad feeling or discomfort is wrapped up in that sin narrative. And so it just becomes I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad in an, a definite an astronomically different level than it would be for someone who maybe didn't have trauma because it's just that that internalized shame that you already have and it just exacerbates it.
1: Yes. Yes. I do. In my, in my presentation I did for the e-conference, I, I show what healthy development looks like. You know, you have, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy, you know, and and you, you have all of these needs met and you have attachment relationship and you build on that and you get a self, a sense of identity and, and you figure out who you are and you have all this support and that's in the perfect world. That's what happens for every child. Okay. So then you take, take the people who trauma decimates all of that they don't know who to trust mm-hmm. they did not attach they've never felt safe the world is not a safe place to be and you take that foundation and have them because the healthy foundation kind of leads to a, you know oh i love god i love jesus i have you know all of this i want to be spiritual and you take a decimated person and you put them into religion or faith and they don't have any of that foundation mm-hmm. they have no building blocks that help them and so then I call them water treaders in the book. Mm-hmm. then they just they have they look around and they say, oh this is what it is to be a Christian and they just do faith by imitation. Mm-hmm. And they never, and they know that they have this inner turmoil and they feel like a spiritual failure. And that, and when I published Brave, I started to say this earlier, then people started coming out of the woodwork, you know, just like, thank you. Thank you for talking about this. Thank you for sharing. I was abused also. And then they would say, and I've always struggled spiritually. Yeah. And that was what the connected the dot for me. Mm -hmm. was that the same people who had been decimated as children aces you know all of this they were the same people who felt like they were spiritual failures and Mm -hmm. it didn't have anything to do with spirituality right And, and so when one of my readers said no one ever told me this wasn't a spiritual problem i was like oh my gosh i'm on my way i yeah, I've got it. Yeah, <laughs> never look back. I've never looked back because it is not a spiritual problem. Right.
0: You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org/support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at tears of Eden and Instagram at uncertain podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. You have this quote in your book that when I read it, I was like, that was me that, Ooh, this was me. Those who suffered from the effects of trauma were trying And ministry leaders were telling them to try harder. Without knowing the cause or understanding the effects, the hurting people we were called to help were shamed and judged. They either buried their pain as I did or left, which I also did eventually. The result was an outwardly spiritual group of Christians who knew how to follow the rules, but dared not reflect too deeply on their inner turmoil. That is like, would you say that's probably like the, The thesis of the book, to some extent,
1: yeah. Everything I've said up to this, you just (laughs) summarized. You just read that at first, and then (laughs) I was like, "That's it! Like that is literally, yeah." And it and it it
0: is. And I and I, as I was reading the book, I had so many thoughts as I was reading it because I was in the Reformed tradition, Mm -hmm. which is very cerebral, and I was drawn to it because it was very cerebral. Mm-hmm. And I also wondered if this reform, I mean, I wonder, I believe, I don't wonder, I believe that this cerebral expression of faith draws traumatized people. And there are more traumatized people in this space because they don't have to address what's going on in their body. And they're actually encouraged not to listen to their body very, very much so. mm -hmm. Yeah. And then just that feeling of like, I don't fit, like I don't fit every, everyone else seems fine. Everyone else, it seems so easy, you know, for everyone else, no one else is struggling the way that I'm struggling. And, And then I must be my problem. Okay. So let's just pretend this isn't happening and like, just stuff it down Pretend to be the perfect person that you're expected to be in these spaces because you just assume that's what everyone else is doing too. So.
1: Hey, you don't, you don't know that what you're doing is not healthy, right? Basically, that's what you're told to do. And so, I, I said to someone the other day, I said, if you want a picture, if you really want a picture of someone who is a very strong person, who is a very traumatized person. And they and she, meaning me, is is lives her Christian life by control and pushing that down. Read Brave because it is just as messy as the day is long. Mm -hmm. And I when I got off the therapy couch, I said, "I, I don't think I'm the only one. I I don't think I'm the only one who did this. And because I never processed anything, you know, I I have I have. I'm kind of an anomaly. I'll be 70 in in June, and so I'm kind of an anomaly. You know, my friends are like, "That Janine," <laughs> <laughs> right? Because for the most part, my generation is like they cheer me on, but but it's really hard at that age because you have built so many layers around your pain, right? So many protective layers. But then they say, yeah, I just don't I have a hard time accessing joy in my faith. Yeah, you can't. There's a meme going around right now that says you if you if you suppress your um your more difficult feelings, then you can't feel happiness or joy. Yeah,
0: they're connected.
1: They're con- they're connected. You can't just I say in one of my books, you can't, it's not like the hot water or cold water separate things. They all come, you know, they it's you can't shut one off. You can't go, I don't want any cold water and just shut it off. You've shut off everything, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And so, so I think, yeah, you build a place where people are intended to get help and you tell everyone, this is, we have the answers for you. And, and then we all gather in there together and try to act like we're not, troubled by our trauma anymore.
0: And if you do try if you are troubled by it because this, the, the presentation is we have the answer. Do these things, life will be good. If it's not working, we instantly go to it's my fault. Like something's wrong with me, something's defective in me. Something's, you know, I I have this issue. And I just need, no one else is talking about it. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep that one quiet unless you can't, unless you, you have the, the trauma responses that pop out as, at, at times that are uncontrollable. And that happens too. Can you talk a little bit about the sin narrative and how that is received by trauma survivors?
1: I was, as you were talking, I was like, oh, we need to go to the sin narrative. Need so talk we're need to we just like right <laughs> on the we're same page definitely. <laughs> we seriously are diving. So here's how I came to this. I was learning about trauma. I was preparing for a, a presentation. I forget where I was in the, I mean, I've written four books and all right, five years. And so, you know, it's just been a blur, right? Yeah. And gotten them published, which is like my publishers are rock stars. <laughs> like yeah. trying to keep up with me, right? I haven't I have like three more in the wings. And so yeah. So I, I I started thinking about the the ACEs study, which is adverse childhood experiences, and and what it was was a study that was done in the in the '90s that connected the adverse childhood experiences with it was done by the CDC Kaiser Permanente and and it connected it to the medical issues people were experiencing as adults, and so it was a it was a landmark, and I. That's a terrible description of it and everyone in my circle who does would give a better description. But anyway, I get awesome. to this point. I I realized that in those in those medical lists, there were behaviors. That were dangerous to their health. Okay. And so I started looking at the things. Okay. There was smoking, there was alcoholism, there was promiscuity, there was suicide, there was, there's a couple more. And I started looking at the charts and I realized that the more ACEs that a person experienced, the lo- more likely it's not predictive, it's just a correlation. Okay. But the more likely they were to have have problems with addictions and all of those things as an adult and it was the most it was one of those life moments where you just stop and you say what wait wait what this is saying what this evidence is showing is that what we in the church have traditionally called sin is the impact of childhood trauma Okay, so then I started following that path. And Gabor Mate, with his work with addiction, does the very best job of connecting that. But every, every re- Bessel Vanderkulk, every trauma researcher says these things, these things. If, if a child does not have that foundational and, and the ability to soothe themselves, which comes out of the attachment relationship and trauma just makes it worse, then, then the likelihood of them doing these kinds of behaviors, trying to soothe themselves nice. is very great. And so the ways that we took care of ourselves with this horrible inner turmoil, which is biologically correct. Okay. Yeah. It is, it is just what the body does. And the interesting thing, so you have, you get triggered, say you have a trauma and then you get triggered and your body just floods you with all the stress hormones. Okay. For someone who has a healthy, healthy beginning of their life, it'll take about, I don't know, you know, less than six hours for, to filter all of that out of their bodies. And, and they kind of have ways to do that. You know, after a car accident, you know, you, you right. kind of know what to do to take care of yourself. Well, someone who doesn't have that, it will take up to 36 hours for those hormones to filter out of their body.
0: Meanwhile, they're getting re-traumatized within that time period. So basically it
1: never leaves. It never leaves. And they are constant. That's what hypervigilance is, is that they are they are constantly on alert and filled with those stress hormones in their body. And until they recognize, so when I, when I started recognizing that, I went, I thought it was conviction, right? And I went, I'm feeling all the stress hormones in my body. And I'm thinking that I'm being convicted. The church is telling me, oh yeah, that's conviction. You need to find the sin in your life and get rid of the sin in your life. And so, so I'm, I'm beat. Not only am I told that how I tried to solve it was sin, but now I'm being told that how I react to it is sin. And now I'm being told, and so it was the sin narrative. And and if you listen to a sermon, there's I mean, I mean, I I brought a shout it from the rooftop when I actually hear a a pastor say, now we need to understand neurobiology and we need to understand the right (laughs) before I talk about what sin is and what conviction is, we need to be able to distinguish between the two. Of those, mm-hmm. and and so I get pushback on that because people say, "Are you are you telling me people don't actually sin?" Oh, I know people sin. It's a volitional choice, right? To know better, to absolutely know better. You have a pause space. You have room to make a decision, and you choose to do the wrong thing, right? And even then, even then, I want to say that you may be thinking that you're choosing it. When in reality, your trauma story is bringing you to that choice. Yeah. Okay. So that was where I had to really think about, because there were some things that I thought I made a choice about as a young adult, that once I understood how vulnerable and traumatized I was, I really... I was surviving. I was reacting to the trauma. I was, I was just trying to stay afloat. And there were many situations where no, I really didn't have very much of a choice. But when we preach a sermon and we just say, everything is a choice, everything is a choice and you are choosing sin. And that is why you feel the way you do and why you can't thrive Mm -hmm. in your spiritual life.
0: Mm
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah,
0: and I, I, I am of the same conclusion, and I've completely eliminated the word sin from any category for myself, for other people. It's just like that. That word doesn't work for me anymore. And again, just like <laughs> when the so much of the narrative around the presentation in the church is a sin narrative, it nice. does make it so challenging. For someone who has trauma, and then when you point out in the book when it's like, I think it's like one in well, it's one in three women have experienced sexual abuse in childhood, and then one in five men. But then you say like at least a quarter of your congregation has experienced sexual abuse. Like that's a significant
1: that's, amount. That is, I mean, when you sit when you sit one hundred people in a room and you ask you count them off and you say, okay, everyone that I just counted off, 25 of you stand up. It's like, oh, wait, we're talking about a fourth of the room that stood up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's just sexual abuse.
0: There's so much much other developmental trauma that can be present in that congregation. And yeah, and just the, the reality of like, Again, back to the reformed tradition, drawing these cerebral people and drawing these people who are addressing their trauma through intellect.
1: Which I did, yes.
0: Oh, I did too. And which was one of the reasons why I was drawn to that because my upbringing was so chaotic. I wanted that structure and I wanted the answer is this. And I wanted to be able to say that luckily- the answers that I got still didn't make sense. So <laughs> it didn't do what
1: I wanted it to do. Oh, you were but, like, you had yeah. too much cognitive dissonance No. <laughs> <laughs> Gratefully, I was like, and we're
0: filling in a lot of blanks here. This actually doesn't make sense. So that was good to just kind of be like, oh, it's kind of never going to make sense completely. And having to kind of get used to that uncertainty that that Christianity often promises Certainty, and and I feel like for a trauma survivor, they they never have that certainty, and yeah. that is kind of ripped away, especially if it happens in developmental years.
1: Right, and the other the other thing that we tend to focus on recovery, like we're we're going back to some if it's developmental trauma, there's nothing to recover back to. Mm-hmm. You, have to you have to learn. I know. So tragic. <laughs> You have to learn attachment as an adult. Right. We have to begin. And so that's what I say in the book is that the church has to learn. You can't have these expectations of people that they had healthy backgrounds that they had. You have to you have to develop a community where they can attach, where they can feel safe, where they can learn that the world is can be a safe place. You, you have to do all of those developmental blocks. And some of that, some of that, it's really interesting. I was having a a conversation earlier today with the executive director for the, and we were talking about that traumatized people who were traumatized as children, they don't know how to play. They, they just don't, it, it doesn't connect. There's some, and so So I, I'm getting ready to do another book. Okay. The next one that I'm doing is, is kind of trauma in the fuse, but it's directly to survivors and how to follow that path. And one of those things is to, you have to go back and help yourself learn. So a lot of times in therapy, they'll say, well, that's just silly. You're the therapist telling you to go color and go, but what they're trying to do is to take you back and let, help you pick up some of those developmental pieces and connect with the child self that was traumatized. Mm -hmm. And so yes. healing, the church doesn't know what to do. I would kind of went off on a rabbit trail. I, I do that. But the, the church doesn't know how to provide those safe spaces where the messy job of healing and what healing actually looks like mm-hmm. for someone who's been traumatized is, is facilitated. You know, I I say like, something in the book where we, we shouldn't have to leave our stories in our car. Absolutely when we come into church, we shouldn't have to, and when we talk about our stories, we shouldn't feel like the air gets sucked out of the room. Because
0: you know? <laughs> people are like, I don't know what to
1: do with that. Oh, she's right. talking about that,
0: you know. anyone yeah. likes cronies. So <laughs> just
1: completely I mean, bypass. I mean, I'm so happy that your story is really a great story and you want to talk about all the wonderful places you and your family went to it, as a child, right? Right? But when I talk about, the truth of my story, then that's not so good. That's just not positive. And we need to be more positive. No, it's my story. It just is my story. And it has value. And and the there's there's no one more strong more strong than a trauma survivor. Who still believes that faith is possible, you know? And then you, we, you and I, we run in the circles, the religious trauma, you know, circles. And and there's so many people that just walk away from everything. Mm. And I, I totally get it. Yeah, I totally get it. And I would not, I would never go try to convince someone to to do anything differently than than the the place. But I, I believe that that it is possible. And I talk about that at the end of brave and, but, but it's hard mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like the church wants it to look. Oh no,
0: absolutely not. Absolutely. Right?
1: Not. Like what, what I do and how I express my faith mm-hmm. it just does not, does yeah. not fit into. Yeah. I don't, and that makes me sad. And I, so I'm really, I'm really very, I'm very kind in the book. Mm-hmm in honor of my father and all the people who did it right and really tried to help me on my journey. But I also am saying we're way past the time when we didn't have the information we needed to do. Exactly. Better.
0: Exactly. What do you think about this? This is a question I wanted to ask you. One one of, one of question is how does the fact that there are so many trauma survivors within a culture and a community shape the culture of the church especially unprocessed trauma
1: well I I ask a bunch of questions at the beginning of the book because I, I I'm talking to ministry leaders and I want to tell you the pandemic was tough on them I mean they just left in droves because because the pandemic I talk I talk about the fact that it it, it exposed what was underneath and people people were too traumatized by the pandemic to not where it was just bubbling up Mm -hmm. and watching watching the the faith communities attack each other Mm -hmm. right The the whole thing about mass i just like on earth Uh, like it was very
0: rational, and you're like, and that's what happens. <laughs> it's trauma, <laughs>
1: right? Because what some people feel like their rights are being imposed upon, and other felt other people felt like the government was taking. I mean, it was it was all fear based. It was all it. W- there were so many trauma responses in the middle of all that, and so so when you ask what happens when a bunch of traumatized people gather in the room together and the new trauma hits them, well. It's just gonna explode. Yeah. Right. Right. And and lifelong friendships ended. Mm-hmm. People walked away from each other. Marriages. Marriages ended. Okay, so we we moved recently, but in the area where we lived, like almost the marriages were just breaking up all around yep. us. Right. Yep. And so the pandemic was like the straw that broke the camel's back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our nation and our churches were already dealing with the the growth of trauma that i talk about in that third chapter second third chapter and it just cracked it wide open Mm -hmm. and and nobody nobody had any skills or resources to deal with it right and so that's what happens
0: Mm -hmm. what Um, do you think about placing knowledge of trauma in the hands of ministry leaders
1: Okay, so I, I read, your, that. <laughs> read your, I do my homework. What, okay? did my, read what your your story about oh, okay. your interview, the okay. interview. Okay, and you kind of talk about this, right? And in fact, I've been looking for it again because someone else who's in this in this movement asked me, "Do you have this question right here?" Okay, was it the ma- magazine article?
0: Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the
1: magazine article. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And in that, you say that, that you are concerned about placing the information about trauma in the hands of ministry. Okay. So what, and I, so I've thought about that for days and days and days. Oh, wow! So as, as soon as you asked the question, I was like, yes, we're going there. Okay. That's what I can't talk about anyway. All right. So when I talk about, when I talk about trauma, I come from the lens of seeing spirituality through the lens of trauma Mm -hmm. what most theologians pastors ministry leaders etc etc is that they view trauma through the lens of spirituality Mm -hmm. okay and when they do that they spiritualize trauma and that is that is one way that we have developed the culture of suffering being spiritual yep instead of looking at suffering as trauma as an experience and trauma i i probably should say in here trauma is not just a traumatic event it's all the ways that it impacts you and what you believe about yourself and the world and all of that and how you how you try to overcome it and all of that so when we talk about trauma we're not talking about just an event so all of that all of that when you view it through spiritual that's how we got in this mess and so so unless i said in a i was on a panel for paces connection and and they asked well what's a trauma informed leader and i said they have to do a paradigm shift they have to stop viewing trauma through the lens of a spirituality and they have to start looking at trauma as trauma as a as a biological physical psychological impact on a human being mm-hmm. that is completely it shouldn't be completely aside. I mean, it's part of the human experience, but so, so we give all of this knowledge, right? I'm coming back to your question. Okay. So we give all of this knowledge to, to ministry leaders, but if they, but if they just continue to look at it through spirituality, then they take it and they still make it a spiritual problem. Yeah. So I, I've started being really careful when I talk about healing and I'm, I'm working on the title for the next book because I'm talking about healing and, and you see all of the time. Well, Jesus has, has the answer. Jesus has the answer. Jesus did have the answer. He connected with people. Yeah. He had relationships with people. He knew their stories. He loved them unconditionally. Okay. So if you want to go through that route, yes, Jesus does. But, but God also gave us so much knowledge about the ways that we heal trauma. And as long as you continue to make it trauma into a spiritual problem, then people cannot access the quality help that they need to actually heal from trauma. Okay. So the danger is same old, same old, right. Right. With, with more information, so that you sound like you're trauma-informed. Exactly. You sound, you know all the right words to say, which the church is the very best at knowing all the right words to say, yeah. right? Yes. Right? They, we were well-trained in knowing the right words to say. And trauma-informed just becomes another set of those words that we use. Right.
0: And yeah. gaslighting people when they say this actually didn't help, but we're trauma-informed. We're trauma-informed. yes.
1: Which of is course, it has out. to help you because we're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And so once again, the victim is the problem, mm-hmm. right? And so so one thing that I do in that book is i I go way deep into the impact of trauma, yeah, because you you just can't you can't read the book and walk away with a superficial view of what trauma the impact of trauma. you just can't.
0: No. Yeah. And I thought, I felt like you did a really wonderful job of breaking down trauma and what it is and how it shows up in a non-clinical way. And I think that that's like, that gets so fuddled for a lot of folks of just like, like, what exactly is it? And you, you broke that down really well. And We, we don't have a ton of time left, but I would love to hear, you do have a really good definition of the difference between PTSD and CPTSD. How, how would you describe the difference between the two?
1: Okay. And this is one of those where I want to like pick up the book and read it. Right. So make sure I get it right.
0: (laughs) And you can just do like a fly ever. You do a fly ever. (laughs) And read the book. Everyone should read the book to get the, the, the details, the mush.
1: Basically, PTSD is, is a diagnosis that is the result of a traumatic event. Okay. So a lot of the ways that the body is impacted, but it's only, so one of the, one of the modalities that was used to help me to heal was EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it is excellent for one event, you know, Mm -hmm. you You know, I mean, I was in therapy for, not because of PTSD, which I did have elements of PTSD, but, but CPTSD is where there's ongoing trauma and, and that, that is more likely, okay. How do I say this in PTSD? Let's say you're in a car accident. Okay. Well, you're gonna have all sorts of biologically correct responses to that. I'm thinking car accident because yesterday was the third anniversary of my children being in a horrific accident. And so I'm thinking about that today and how glad I am that they're okay. But that that's a one incident thing that's that that you can get help to work through very but CPTSD affects what you believe about yourself. Yeah. So be in a car accident and you don't think you're a horrible, worthless person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. But CPTSD is all the internal messages and all of the the coping strategies and the way that you learn to live because this trauma is just ongoing and never ending. And again and again and again, that's a completely different thing. Right. And and an important an important distinction. And it's interesting because the DSM five didn't include it, but but yeah. the the diagnostic bible that is used in other countries does and oh, so I, I work on a page that the lady that is the had started the page and is the administrator for it lives in england and and so we have like a worldwide audience and and we have to clarify that sometimes because the americans will be like well that isn't right that isn't diagnosis right yeah. and we're like well yeah Official diagnosis <laughs> yeah. so yeah. so there's there's lots and and one thing I want to say we in fact so part of my story was dissociative identity disorder Got and it. I just hate the term disorder because I was such a smart intelligent yeah who my brain figured out how to separate everything into different places yeah, exactly exactly yeah so have Yes, we have changed our page, which we're fighting. We're like in Facebook jail right now because we can't get our name changed, but we're changing it to dissociative identity response because it's a response to trauma. It is not a disorder. And we're kind of on our, our own campaign to, and they're doing that with PTSD too. There, people are trying to get it changed to, there's another term they're using, either response or. Another word: traumatic stress response. Post-traumatic stress response works works well. Works.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And a disorder also indicates ongoing; like you're always going to have it, you're never going to get rid of it. And PTSD is specifically, you tend to be able to to recover from that and and heal from that. Right. So.
1: right. And the and the thing with DID is it starts so early that your brain forms differently and so so one of the reasons that i do everything that i do is because i have this brain that learned how to do all sorts of different things and yes. so it and so it has been a gift to me healed i yeah. healed it was not a gift it, right. it after i was a child it didn't right. serve me well but yeah. yeah so so and so when they say we're trauma-informed what does that what mean? This? And I say, oh well, if we do an MRI, different parts of my brain will light up depending on what it, you know. And then, like <laughs> we teach neurobiology and, and all that, I, and we're, like, well, we're trauma informed, and and we're you know we
0: know that trauma exists. Is that what you mean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. your trauma informed. Okay, but so that's why I I really toned it down in the book, right? Because mm-hmm. because I wanted it to be accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And so I worked hard on making it accessible. And I don't talk about my clients because I'm not a clinician. I talk about my friends.
0: Yeah. No, I think that, I think you did a good job of, of making it something that a ministry leader could read without having their defenses, you know, rear up and and addressing the sin narrative and just like, and not saying sin narrative is bad, but like the sin narrative, this is how a trauma survivor receives that. Yes.
1: Yes that yeah it's you, been really interesting to see how many trauma survivors are buying the book and giving it to their pastors I know and it's and it's and it's
0: validating for trauma survivors I've already told a few people about it like I really think that you would enjoy this because the the narrative for trauma survivors for my friends who are trauma survivors for myself was like you just feel like you don't fit right so just suppress the things that don't fit and and then you just feel like you know you're doing something wrong and you're you're a bad christian and so it's very validating for survivors what is one of your favorite things about the book
1: well you know it are you aware it it won the yes i asked it that won. to your
0: review on the on the oh, uh, good.
1: yeah so oh yeah you did we did have that conversation that's right and and i only say that because since the time i was a little girl i wanted to be an author Mm-hmm. Okay. so I can do also it's a really great important I mean this book is important and it's helping people and all that kind of thing but but at the very core of me I was a little girl who wanted to be an author so I went when I won an award for my writing The book isn't based on, on you're doing important things in the world. You're doing, you're helping people. It wasn't based on that. It was, and I am thankful to my publisher that worked and taught me so much about, about the, how to structure it because one of the things that the award does is structure and it's a really complicated book to structure. Let me tell you, I turned it inside out several times. And so, so my favorite part was the storytelling. That I, I was just like, I I remember the day the publisher said, you you need to put stories in really? Okay, yay. (laughs) (laughs) I can write stories all day long. And so the favorite part of my book is, is the, the, and they're all conglomerations of all the different stories I get told. I don't tell anything that I haven't known happened to at least two people. And so, and being able to use my imagination and and create the people in the stories. That's and amazing. Nathan's story all the way through it. So, and that's what makes it accessible. So the stories. Definitely. Stories uh, are my favorite.
0: Mm, yes, yes, yes. What is your, what has been just like a, a response that you've gotten from people that has been meaningful to you?
1: Oh, so many responses. And it was really funny when I, I I was just scrolling through Instagram and 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 the picture of my book popped up it was Jenny mm-hmm. right. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't even know this person. Right. You, know? you know, So I've had so many responses and and I think that that consistently and the thing that I love the most is when people say I felt seen. Mm-hmm. I felt seen. I mean, I was in the church. For my entire life and I never felt seen until I walked into my therapist's office Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean there were people who tried to see me Mm -hmm. there were people who but they but because I couldn't ever share my story yeah I wasn't fully seen yeah and and so when people say when I read your book I felt seen I just want to go I just want to go get Kleenex and go cry (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. because you know what it feels like
1: Yes, because I know, I watched, I watched the movie, what was it, Avatar? Is that the... the, the, newer the one? I haven't the, seen it No, the old one, the first oh, one. Okay. There's, there's this moment where she says, she says, I see you. Mm. And I, I was in the middle of therapy and I cried for like an hour because mm. I understood that I felt seed. And that was... That was what I had longed for since I was a tiny, tiny child was just to really feel seen. Mm. And so when Thank people see that, I just yeah. melt. are like, that's it. That's it.
0: Did you see the did you see Canto?
1: Oh my gosh.
0: We just nobody talks about Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> oh Bruno's a great right. character, but at the very end when she gets the doorknob and yes. they're like, what do you see? And she says, I see me. I just like like I was already very emotional at that point. I just like I was like, I get (laughs) it.
1: She's like, I see myself. I've watched it. I've watched it at least twice, maybe three times and and there's something I I take away from it every it's such a it's a cartoon movie (laughs) you know it's an animated movie and it is so has so much depth to it Mm -hmm. and I and I so relate I mean Bruno hiding in the walls was me hiding in the church Mm -hmm. right and I was trying to protect I mean there were choices that I made to protect the church that I haven't even written about in my books yet. Mm-hmm. And, and he was really, he was trying to protect his family from him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, yeah. And so that, that to me. A little plate, he was still eating with them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's just, I love that movie. So I may have to go watch it again today. I know, I got, like we're talking about, I was like, I need
0: to go watch that movie again. As, speaking of art movies, that sort of thing, as we wrap up, what is a book? or a movie, or a show, or a song, or some sort of art that is meaningful to you right now?
1: Wow. Oh, okay. So I just have to tell you that one of the effects of my trauma, which I understand now, is that I cannot pull facts out of the air. Okay? I, got I got you. And so so I used to go, like, go into shame moments when this happened, you know, because oh. I'm like, i know what it is i can see it i can but i'm not gonna be no worries no worries i'm not gonna be able to name it but i think there's there's just so there's so many okay so i did not watch mars hill podcasts yeah before i wrote the book yeah because i wanted to tell my story and i did not want it to be influenced by the podcast because everyone just could talked about how impactful it was in understanding the history of how these things go so wrong and so so i've been watching i've been watching them now that i that i've done and it's it because i grew up in the the jesus culture and the you know yeah. they're so like i all of a sudden i'm like oh my gosh it just puts all the pieces together of what I've lived through. You know, yeah. when I've been old is that you have this, you have this view of history right. that everyone has. Right. And so I think if there, I were to say, what is the most impactful to me right now is that that podcast and I'm not, I'm not quite through, we're making progress, but I'm not quite through because, because I, I, uh, the podcast came out and it, you can't deny it's people's testimonies, it's people's stories that happen. And yet we just continue to support the people who harm. Yeah. And I think that to me is, I just don't get that. I don't get how you have all the evidence laid in front of you. And you're just like, oh, 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 they're okay. They went through this little you know five week thing and and they're fine now they're fine now and then they go back and they do the very same things yeah so so that I mean that's not a very uplifting way to end this. I wish that I was it, it connected some dots for you yeah, it did it's connecting dots for me and and it helped it helps affirm what I did in the book yeah and that, and that that what I was witnessing was a fallout from a lot of this absolutely. And, so, and it wasn't, I mean, it's about Mars Hill, but it's not, it's about yeah, it's evangelicalism. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's not very uplifting if I were to, you right. know, but that's, um, right. but that's the world we live in. Right. That's right. yeah.
0: Right. Well, I, I want to talk to you for like two more hours and this is the fun thing about this is like, you have another book that you're going to write and we're going to get to talk again and you're yes. going to be a on the podcast again and i'm very excited to just know you
1: now yes i have i love i have loved this conversation this, this is was really fun
0: i really really enjoyed
1: a so fun conversation thanks so much for
0: joining us today uncertain is the affiliate podcast of tears of eden a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse if you're enjoying this podcast please consider making a donation by visiting TearsofEden.org slash support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Catherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.